Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. It's great to have everybody here. Uh, how the heck is everybody? Um, this has been an incredible transition from 2011 to 2012. And so one of the things that I love is getting all fired up for the year uh, and sitting down and looking at intentions, looking at what things are possible. But beyond that, I wanted to ask everybody, you know, how far do you stretch out of your comfort zone to really ask for what you want? What do you, what do you really in, in, expect in life? What is it that you turn away? In, what are the things that, you know, deep down when you open up your heart and you get that place and come from that place of heart thought, you know, what is it that happens that shuts you down? Today, we have a very significant very significant show. I've been so looking forward to this. You know, we often think, who is it that we want to bring on as our first show of the year on each of our different networks? And Linda and the team put a lot of thought into this. I was very, very uh, struck by the message of my guest today, Lynn Woodland, joining me here today. Let me tell you why. Because her book, Making Miracles, Create New Realities for Your Life and Our World, is a very important body of work. And it's more than a book. You know, any, uh, any of you out there that even has a, uh, an inkling of what it means to take something that you're passionate about and share it with the world will understand that there is a process of chemicalization that goes along with this. And what I mean by that is, you know, as my guest Lynn said in the very beginning of her book, uh, when she was doing acknowledgments, she acknowledged and gave thanks to the dark night of the soul. I can't wait to ask her about that. But she's joining me here today as an award-winning author, international teacher, and human potential expert. She's been doing this for decades, helping people in that field and move beyond that field to understand what their true potential is. You know, not simply a life and a career of helping people that can't seem to get into shape for themselves, people that are chemically dependent. And certainly uh, for me, having a, a history of a mother that went through the struggles of chemical dependency and mental illness, I understand what the work is about, what her compassion is about, and what it means to actually take on that work from a spiritual perspective. You know, she founded and directed the Baltimore Center for Attitudinal Healing, and you're going to hear about that for a minute, but she's also the creator of the Miracles Course. And we'll talk about what this year-long program is doing to up-level whatever it is you think you have in your pocket in terms of spirituality in order for each and every one of us to understand the true meaning 
of what it is about to to say, I am making miracles. Lynn, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here today, and Happy New Year to you. Yeah, well, thank you so much, and what a fabulous introduction. I, can, I have to tell you, I'm so moved that you actually read my acknowledgments. <laughs> <laughs> I have actually read your book. Now, don't be shocked about that. Uh, I read everyone's book, and um, I do that because... Uh, and this is the first question I want to ask you. I, I read everyone's book because I know what it's like to take the time and effort to say yes to the vision of your life. Uh, I know what it, it really does take to move beyond the challenges. But I will tell you, I believe you're one of the first people, if not the first person, that I've ever had, that I've ever read about, that has, in the acknowledgments, acknowledged the dark night of the soul. Let's start the conversation out with that. What do you think? Well, that's an interesting place to start. It's a first for me. But, you know, I, I think that the more we can find the blessing in the, the situations we call challenges, the less they become painful and the more they, they really do become our gifts. I, I really like to look at all the, the, the crises in life, the illnesses that beset us, you know, the, the downtimes that we, we tend to look at as circumstances beyond our control, I like to look at them as, as purposeful, that they're there for a reason. And, and I know for myself, uh, it, I, well, a big dark night of my soul came around midlife when I'd, I I'd bounced happily through life just pursuing my spiritual goals, really living a very uh, charmed life in many ways. And then somewhere around age 49, I realized that I wasn't where I thought I would be, and I, I just started looking at some of my life goals, and I said, well, geez, if I haven't fulfilled them by now, what makes me think I ever will? Oh. And I had to um, stop and realize how much of my joyfulness in life was based on where I thought I was going. It was based more on hope than in, in really living joyfully in the moment. And, and you know, I, I just went through some years of depression, and I, I had never really experienced depression. I didn't, I mean, I, I understood it as well as someone could who had never gone through it, but I really hit that point of, you know, staring at the wall <laughs> you know, for <laughs> a long time. <laughs> right, right. And, and right. I, there's a part of me that knew this is this isn't really my truth, and yet, wow, here I am. And I, I think there was something in accepting. Okay, this this might be as far as my life goes. I feel like I, in some way, renegotiated my whole contract in this life. And and, and interesting, interestingly, that was when life just took off. I actually created the Miracles Course, which is a year-long program. I met my now husband. I moved into a great house that I have loved living in. You know, just everything that I was feeling very stuck around and disliked just shifted. Boom. Mm -hmm. and, and I think there was something in that awareness that I'd been living my life on hope rather than real true joy and coming to peace with where I was that allowed me to go further. 
You know, I love, love, love what, first of all, I love your work. And secondly, I love the book. And, you know, and those of you out there that are listening to the show and uh, my my very special guest, Lynn Woodland, joining me here today, the book is Making Miracles, Create New Realities for Your Life and Our World. And on the cover of the book, I want to talk about this for a minute, Lynn, if we could. On the cover of the book, there's this picture uh, of, of, of hands, pair of hands together, almost sort of in, in open prayer format. And there are these butterflies. Now, you know, if you take a look at the cover of the book, you ask yourself the questions, are the butterflies landing or are they taking off? Or you ask yourself the question, um, is this about uh, somehow a release of sorts. But here's what I've come to know, and I want to ask you about this. I didn't even get to, to the first chapter of the book, Lynn, and I had two aha moments, and I want to start by talking about them. One is uh, what I think is one of the greatest misconceptions, and I would love for you to address this. You talk about what happens as if we were in the forest. What happens if we stop hunting, Right? And, yeah. and I think you talk about this in the book, this idea of what happens when we actually start, stop trying to hunt down our miracles. And I was really struck by that. Uh, and I wanted to ask you, is that one of the greatest misconceptions we have about making miracles or even manifestation? Are we in the hunt so often that we miss the miracles that are in front of us? Or is it something that repels miracles? Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. That there's a way that I've noticed um, new thought techniques of, for manifesting and using the law of attraction mm-hmm. have, have just been embraced with such fury, <laughs> you know, such intensity that we, we almost start trying to micromanage God. And we, we just think if we, you know, do enough visualization, if we, if we do enough affirmations, we do the techniques, we're just going to make it happen. We're just going to work harder and harder. And there, there really comes the point where more is not more. More effort becomes counterproductive. In fact, there's, it's interesting. There's even some very interesting research around this. There, there's a great uh, research team, uh, Robert John and Brenda Dunn, and they've just done decades of work with controlling mind-controlling matter experiments. And they found that many people were successful in influencing random effects in the direction of their intent, but they also found this very significant effect that a number of people would be successful in, indic- in influencing the random effect in the absolute opposite direction of their intent. And in other words, their conscious minds were directing their subconscious power to cause an effect, but it was, you know, the way I interpret it, it was an effect of the subconscious mind's choosing. Through all that strain and pushing, it it became uh, more reflective of performance fears and disbeliefs and other agendas that are simply different from the conscious order to move forward. And I think that when we get too intense about wanting what we want and getting attached to outcomes and trying to make it happen, this is what happens. We actually start to repel the object of our desire. 
And, and I think that's a big difference between working with manifesting techniques and miracle making, because miracle making is, is really uh, being happy with the process of life, and in a sense, trusting God, and uh, you know the idea of the butterfly and of the hand. So I I've used that image for years as an analogy to describe the perfect state for calling forth miracles. Oh. So if you imagine a butterfly just lighting in your hand, your body is still, your hand is open and not grasping, your mind is focused but it's not straining. You're very present. You're not fixed on a future outcome. And your heart is open, and there's a sense of wonder and lightness of being around the whole experience. And then when the butterfly flies away, it leaves you full for a time afterward. You don't feel empty and like, where is it? When am I going to get it back? So does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. And the reason that I was so struck by that, Lynn, is because, you know, not too long ago, uh, midpoint last year, I, I was at a, a birthday celebration, a pivotal birthday celebration for about six of us, and we were we were at this beautiful estate, and I have uh, an attraction to dragonflies, I always have. And this place was surrounded. I mean, dragonflies everywhere. And and I don't know what possessed me, but I was standing there with three, three, of, three or four of my friends, and I simply put my hand out. And the dragonfly landed on the top of my hand. And they actually took a picture of this on, um, what do you call it? Everybody's got a smartphone now, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I, and someone asked me how I did it. And this is really the, where I want, you know, you know where I want to uh, talk with you about making miracles. Somebody asked me how I did it. How did I get the, how did I get the dragonfly to land on my hand? And there was a moment, Lynn, where I thought I had to make a story up because the real answer, the real answer was, I don't really know. I simply put my hand out. And let's talk about that in terms of making miracles. You know, a lot of conversation about making miracles, expecting miracles, having miracles. I don't believe in miracles. Um, What do you think is... I think the greatest, let's call it, misconception that we have these days about miracles. Well, you know, I I think it goes back to a bit of what we were talking about before, that when we talk about miracle making, is it something that we can force into being with our, you know, all the, the, the push of our personal will, or is it something completely out of our control that is just, you know, dropped on us like grace or like luck? Mm. Now, as you told your story of the dragonfly, my guess is that in that moment, you were just in a state of joy. That yes. In the beauty of the moment, mm. and your whole aura was expanded and bright and in that instant, you were just one with the dragonfly, and all of nature felt that, and that dragonfly just came and lit on your hand. And yet, that was such an immediate, in-the-moment experience, it's one that could easily be felt to be out of your control. Like something, you know, how could you possibly do that again? <laughs> and, 
it's true. If you try to make it happen again, it, you know, you could sit in that garden all day long. And yet, if you had another moment of joy like that, you might have 20 dragonflies all over your body. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and that's one of the Absolutely. reasons that, that we... That, that miracle making can seem so hard to, to pin down because on one hand it's easy and on the other hand we can't force it or make it happen through our personal will. There, there, there's a surrender. There's an intention and a surrender to just being present in the moment and joy. And, and there's ways that we can encourage that state and uh, and I mean, that's what my whole book is about. It's just one ex- exercise after another and after another. And yet to, to really make it happen, it, you know, we, we can't force it. it. It's when our personality tries to force God that it all falls apart. Oh. When we surrender to God, then everything happens. And, and often it doesn't happen in the way we think it's going to happen. It happens in some even better way. Let's talk about this, though, in, in the context of what you've written, because honestly, I, I'm reading your book, and I've actually, I actually read it once, and then I went back and, and looked at it again for the show, and I realized how much I've changed in a short period of time after reading your book for the first time. Uh, you know, and I know you must hear this from several people, but there are a couple of things that stood out, and I would love for you to address this. You know, in your book, you, I believe you, I believe you say miracles are natural. Yet everything in our pop culture, everything in our history, everything in religion, so to speak, those folks that talk of miracles, um, talk about miracles as supernatural almost, right? So I would love for you to, to, to just share with our listeners this perspective that, you know, this book is really based upon. Yeah, you know, I, I think that we're in a, an amazing era where science is beginning to provide a framework for explaining some of the things that we've called uh, unexplainable or supernatural. In fact, there's a, a guy, the, a Melvin Morse, he's a, an MD who's done some of the uh, just greatest research on near-death experiences. He's written a bunch of best-selling books. One was Closer to the Light. He made the point somewhere saying that the the debate between believers and non-believers around all this supernormal, quote-unquote, stuff is an obsolete debate because it's based in old science. And, you know, we're seeing from the world of physics the existence of this field of energy and it's essentially all the energy left in the space when all po- possible matter and energy are removed. And this remaining field comprises literally a supercharged sea of light backdrop to everything. And physicists have theorized that if we learn how to tap it, it can become this limitless energy supply meeting all of our current needs in just amazing ways. And as physicists are working to explain and you know tap this ocean of light, there's this whole other glimpse into the light. It's coming from the growing body of research on those who've had near-death experiences. And consistently, people who have clinically died and been revived tell this similar story. Many people have heard of it, heard of it, of coming into contact with a mystical light. 
And, you know, this experience is profoundly transforming in any number of ways. And it, it would seem, perhaps, that this brief clinical death actually releases these individuals from the limitations of their physical perception that don't allow us to see the zero-point field and allow them to have a direct experience of it. And interestingly, the light that people describe isn't cold or neutral. Again and again, those who've seen it just describe it as synonymous with unconditional love. This light has intelligence and benevolence, and it's everywhere, even though, you know, unless we've had a near-death experience, we don't see it. And to me, this sounds like a description of God, you know, or at least that kernel of truth that people have tried to make comprehensible through religion. And if you, if you go far enough to the far reaches of science, all kinds of amazing things are coming to light that make what we've been talking about as supernatural just seem part of the natural world that we hadn't previously known how to explain. I mean, don't you think this is um, this is really sort of uh, the discovery that so many people in this field of human potential have been talking about and preaching about for years, uh, yourself being one of them. And it's got to be at some level, and you know, for you, the, the, this 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 crossroads we're at with science and spirituality and uh, what we believe about God, what we believe in. You know, aren't you now in your lifetime seeing these breakthroughs of things that so many people, people like yourself, have have been have known? Uh, and and how do you feel about that? I, I think it's a thrilling time to be alive. You know, I mean, it, it, it's true. A lot of what has been part of um, metaphysical teachings for eons now is becoming part of quantum physics. And, uh, and, and and another aspect uh, that I think is just so exciting, a lot of my, my book is set up as a group experiment where readers get turned into participants in this miracle-making experiment as soon as they begin reading. And it really invites readers to bypass space and time to reach out in loving compassion to every other reader wherever they happen to be. And then the experiment involves focusing and directing this collective energy of love to see what miracles we can create for ourselves and each other and the world beyond. And, you know, it's kind of a far-fetched premise. However, all the experiments I put forth in making miracles that bend time and transcend space, they're just new applications for what science has already shown or very strongly suggested to be possible. And, and, you know, I have such a strong feeling that some of what people are calling the shift and, and the, the new energy that people are feeling, especially around right now in this year, yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with us really understanding and tapping the power of all of us together, because I think that's where we're going as a species. And that was a big message of of my book, even though a lot of the book is about how to create our perfect, you know, heart's desires and all kinds yeah. of personal 
goals and, and uh, outcomes, yet the, the bigger message of it and experience of it is to recognize that we can be so much more and we can have so much more for ourselves when we stand up together and we go there together. And when you look at, well, Time Magazine just named the protester person of the year. I, mean, I love that. Pro- a protester, but, but a member of a community that really has created something through their, their power together and all the Occupy movements. I mean, this isn't something here or there. This is something that, that's really going around the globe. It is. I was uh, I was on the East Coast for the holidays. I, I grew up in, in New York. I was born in New York, grew up in New Jersey, and went back to the East Coast. I live in Seattle now. And, you know, these are very two very different energies, actually. And they're, for, they're two very different places. Seattle is, um, it, it's, it's a little big city, right? Yeah. And New York and the tri-state area is a big, big city, right? So I was really struck by being around family. I don't watch the news. Um, they watch the news. And I was really struck by one thing that was happening. And it really talks to what you just said. All of a sudden, the nurses at one of the key hospitals in New York City are going on strike, all of them. And I thought, I don't think I've ever heard of that before. I don't think I have ever heard of nurses going, I mean, an entire hospital, of all of them, going on strike. They were getting ready to go on strike. And so I started to listen, and I thought, well, okay, I want to hear why they're going on strike. I didn't want to hear so much, you know, what the news wanted to cover. And finally, one of the people said, yep, they're going on strike for their health benefits because here they are in the health profession and their health benefits are going to be taken away from them. And, and I, oh my gosh, I mean, does it get any more ironic than that, Lynn? I mean, what if they would have let that happen? I mean, isn't that interesting? And so they drew a line in the sand. Yeah. And they, and they basically are saying, no, we are healthcare providers. You know, there's got to be, uh, uh, come on, give us a break. It, and I think that's what you're talking about. There are people that are coming together, maybe in individual pockets, but the energy of what they're doing is, if I understand you correctly, the energy of what, of, of what they're doing is a collective consciousness, um, that is somehow connected even though there are individual things. I mean, people standing in over, uh, up and overthrowing governments, things happening that have never happened before. How does that translate to the inner journey? Well, you know, I, I think that when we realize how powerful we are together, we're going to tap an energy that's, bigger than anything we've known, and one that we really couldn't use uh, responsibly if, if we didn't access it through love. And, you know, I've been doing group work for, gosh, about 30 years or more. I can't even remember. And I've noticed that 
the nature of people coming together in groups has changed over the decades because I started mm. back in the 70s and people came to learn something or heal something and then go away. And then in the 80s, support groups were all the thing. And people came to these groups to uh, find comfort from one another. And, and, and they came to heal, but they really stayed for the community. And toward the late 90s and on, I've, I've been noticing that people are staying in groups or coming to groups, being part of groups, because they're finding that, that they just are more when they're in connection, in community, in, in, in some kind of context. And I've noticed, you know, I've been doing um, spiritual work, metaphysical work. I've worked with principles of spiritual manifestation before there was a lot of buzz around the law of attraction. Right. And I've noticed that things happen so darn quickly in a group. Things yeah. that would be difficult to do if we're sitting at home just with our own affirmation journal and vision board, boom, happen instantaneously in a group. There's a synergy, an amplifying effect that happens that, that's really, uh, you know, it, it's hard to even gauge the effect of it. It's, it's that powerful. And, you know, that, that's why I built that component into my book so that people are not having just a personal experience with the content, but they're really having a spiritual experience with a whole group of people. And that group of people actually becomes a, a, a generating force for energy that each individual can then tap into. So rather than just having the force of my own personal power, I, I have the steam of this whole force field of consciousness working on my behalf, like massively focused prayer. And this is how I, I see community and personal well-being having a connection. I mean, there's so many ways it has a con connection. I, I remember hearing, I think it was the Tom Hartman radio show, I heard a, a shaman who was also uh, a psychiatrist, and he was Native American, and he was talking about the best cures for depression were not medication, they were exercise and uh -huh. people. And he was saying that in his Lakota tradition, people would have um, healing circles, I believe he called them. He said he hadn't really seen anything much like that in white, you know, mainstream culture, except for a few prayer groups here and there, but not really. And I, I think that there's something so powerful in recognizing that right now we're all in the same boat. We have to go it together. And, and I, I think that, that that's even some of the purpose, the higher purpose of this global economic downturn that we're all going through right now, that it's teaching us that we really can't advance ourselves separately, mm. that, that we have to come together. And, and I'm, I'm seeing so many people being very creative in coming together to create more prosperity, maybe not more dollars, but uh, you know, recreation that doesn't involve going out and doing expensive things and clothing swaps and 
uh, holiday gatherings that don't have to include mass quantities of purchased gifts and a lot of ways that people are coming out to support one another and meet each other's needs in a way that didn't happen when they had more money to be self-sufficient. Exactly. I think this, this economic crisis is breaking us of our stubborn self-sufficiency because it's not going to take us to the next step. We need interdependence. Well, you know, this is really what we're talking about. Let, let's share with our listeners what the experiment is about, what you've actually created here uh, in terms of um, bringing the collective to the forefront. Because so often we think we have to do so many things alone. And yet the power of where, when two or more are gathered is phenomenal. How has what you've created, the miracle experiment, let's talk about that for a minute, because this is so important that people don't feel alone right now and get the support. This is not just a book that you've written. This is really an experience that you're offering for people, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's a virtual support group and uh, experimenting group and manifesting group. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, it's the, the miracle experiment is something I, I first introduced through the book. And I've expanded upon in various ways when I'm with a live audience. I even have a little video that I invite people to go to that just takes you into the experiment in about seven minutes. It was the idea being to draw more and more people and therefore more and more consciousness into it because essentially this experiment is a means of gathering people and consequently building energy for miraculous manifestation. And because it operates outside of time and space, it allows many more people to be together than could easily happen in linear time or in one place. And it creates a generator-like wave of consciousness, as I said, like massively focused prayer that works on behalf of every participant. And, you know, I said, you know, it's a little bit of an outlandish premise, but it's based really in science. And the experiment works simply because we all intend that it does. And intention, science is showing, is truly that powerful and potent. And it works because we're all focusing our minds in a common direction. It works simply because we're imaginative enough to form the intention and then energize it with our excitement and imagination and love. And, you know, I've heard people share all kinds of wonderful miracle experiences that they've had. And yet another thing that I've really heard and the way people have talked about their experience with the book is that they'll share some really cool experience and then they'll say, and the other thing is that I just don't feel so alone. I feel that I have these loving others with me all the time. And You know, there have been um, experiments I've led in person where I would have people reach out across time and space to send love to people, you know, we'll never know. And uh, I've, I've seen some of the more intuitive people in the group often come out of it saying, you know, I felt like I was with someone who had a broken arm and I was helping to heal it. Or I was with a woman who had just found out she was pregnant, she was very frightened, and I was calming and soothing her and 
reassuring her that, that everything would be all right. You know, and, and who knows if that's imagination or is that a real connection with a, a, an actual human in a whole different part of the world, maybe even another time? You know, we, th- those are the kinds of things that are hard to gauge and yet makes you wonder. You know, science is showing that intention really can transcend time. We, we can send healing and intention back in time and, and change the past. In fact, uh, there's a wonderful author, Lynn McTaggart. Oh, I love writes Lynn. writes a lot yeah. About, yeah. about science in a way that makes it very readable and easy to understand. And she's a pure science writer. She strictly writes the science. And there, in, in her last book, The Intention Experiment, she was writing about intention and time. And, you know, I almost got the feeling that she just boggled her own mind at one point when she was saying, well, if, if we can, if every thought we have changes the, the past, the present, the future, well, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> and, and who knows what that means? I think the more intentional we are, the more potent our thoughts become. And, you know, this is why I call this stuff an experiment, because this is doing something that hasn't been done. And, and, and we may never fully know exactly what we're setting in motion. We can see the results in our own lives when something wonderful happens. You know, we think it, and then something wonderful happens, or we feel greater peace of mind. But what are we unleashing for the world? I think that's something very interesting and exciting. It is. It, it, it's it, the answer to that. Yeah, isn't that interesting that you may never know? But yet, at the same time, there is this peacefulness from having a sense of knowing about it, because there's so much evidence that is showing up now for the people that are also like Lynn McTaggart, and are mind it's mind-boggling. I yeah. wanted the listeners to know a couple of things. I wanted to just tell everybody I'm, I'm having the, the pleasure and the honor of speaking with Lynn, Lynn Woodland joining me here today. Um, the book that we're talking about is Making Miracles, Create New Realities for Your Life and Our World. But you can also participate, and I want to take a moment, if we could, Lynn, I want to make sure everyone knows how to get a copy of the book, um, also how to participate in the experiment, and more information about your website. So let's just take a moment and give folks some information. And then and then let's move and talk about this idea of manifestation in God. Okay. The, the book right now, it's available on Amazon.com. Just look up Making Miracles. Um, by spring, it will be out in bookstores, and you can order it from your favorite bookstore now they could they could get you a copy um, my website is lynnwoodland.com that's l-y-n-n w-o-o-d l-a-n-d dot com and that has all of my events coming up there I, I like to create as many opportunities to do miracle experiments as possible so if you go on my website you actually can just see a seven minute video that will write Right there, have you in the miracle experiment? You'll have a little flavor of it. Um, and I, I do everything from phone conference miracle experiments. I'm doing one of those this Sunday, where people just call in from all around the world, and we just get together and 
create the consciousness of, of miracle making to see what happens. Uh, my most in-depth program is my year-long miracles course, which is a whole program of new thought, spirituality, uh, that leads to ordination upon completion. And soon I'm going to be offering my weekly group, which I've been doing for 25 years. I'm going to be doing that by webinar. And that, too, will have a Making Miracles focus. So I'm doing that every way I can. I, I just feel that more and more people, uh, the, the more of us join this this consciousness of miracle-making, the more we start a snowball growing. I absolutely love what you've created because you're absolutely right. Um, it has been my own personal journey, especially my healing journey, um, that really points to sort of the next series of questions that I, I want to ask you because I was really struck by um, on your website uh, what you have written about spiritual healing. And in the book, you you know, you know you talk about, impossible miracles. I actually love this chapter uh, because as a kid growing up, I was always scolded because I daydreamed all the time. I'm a daydreamer. I, da I can daydream as I'm talking to you um, <laughs> because you. I, I see things visually. Thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when I read, I don't read words. I don't see words. I see what I'm reading. Um, it's really good if you're creative, not so good if you're in school trying to learn and take <laughs> exams. That yeah. doesn't work really well. But here's my question. You know, we're hearing a lot about wellness and health and healing. There are millions of people that feel like, how should I say, that the health system is failing them. Many people are turning to what we call alternative approaches. And I wanted to, to talk with you about healing because it's so prominent in, in, on your website, but you also talk about it in the book. And I want to start with um, a place that, um, you know, I started to reread some books that I read years ago. Uh, you know, kind of like you, I'm rediscovering some of these things. You know, the book by James Allen, As a Man Thinketh. And I had a debate with a friend of mine uh, not too long ago. And I pulled out the book to read it again, and I almost missed it now for the 500th time I've pulled out the book. And it's this. When the book starts, you, you know, he goes on to say, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And almost everyone that has read this book forgets what that first sentence says, because as the book goes on, we, t we, we go now enter into thought and what thoughts mean and intention. So I want to ask you, this idea about as a man thinketh in his heart, it almost sounds like it's a sentence that doesn't make sense. And I wanted to ask you about spiritual healing and what the relationship is to that, making miracles, uh, and what we think is in our heart. Well, you know, the most powerful healing state there is, is a state of love. Mm. When we're in a state of love, in just about any form, in fact, Dean Ornish, MD, wrote this great book some years back, Love and Survival, where he just compiled all the research documenting the correlation between physical healing and different kinds of love, even if it was simple 
as a nurse touching somebody when they took blood pressure versus just hooking them up to a machine and found that there was just an irrefutable correlation that all kinds of love, from the most sublime to the most basic and simple, facilitated healing. And um, whether we're giving it or receiving it, when our heart is open, you know, we actually stop being givers and receivers. We are just completely in the moment, which I think is about being connected to God. I think when we are in an open-hearted state of love, we are connected to that zero-point field God energy. And and that 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 is the, the force that gives rise to healing miracles. And, and truly, any magnitude of illness can be healed instantaneously. And that doesn't mean we can force any magnitude of healing into being instantaneously. And that's where it gets really tricky because anyone with a dis-ease wants it to go away. Uh, and this, this brings us back to where we started at the beginning of the program. Yes. <laughs> the dark night of the soul. Right. Every, every dis-ease is there for a reason. So before we can let it go and move beyond it, we often have to understand what its gift to us is, how it's not just our enemy, but in in many ways our friend, what what it's pushing us to do, what it's helping us to learn, how it's teaching us compassion or depth or helping us get needs met to be cared for and loved. There's a, a tendency in the healing arts, and I'm not talking about Western med, that, that's a whole other extreme, but even in more of the spiritually based healing arts, to focus on what's wrong and get rid of it. And I, I've actually worked with a number of different uh, modalities of spiritual and energetic healing over the years. And you know, one of the most effective things I've found to facilitate healing is to give it less attention rather than more. To shift attention, you know, to do what needs to be done, to do what makes sense, to, to get it taken care of, get get care, get energy healing, whatever, you know, your heart is calling you to do. But give more of your focus of attention to creating a joyful, fulfilling, passionate life Uh. and finding what it is you want to be well for and really embracing that as well as listening to what is this illness pushing you to do that you wouldn't do otherwise. Because, you know, for example, somebody who's never put themselves first through their whole entire lives you know, maybe they get cancer, and for the first time, they're the center of their family's attention. They're, they're the center of their caregiver's attention. They're, everybody is is coming to them and, and caring for them. And from the the perspective of the soul, really the higher spiritual essence of that person's being, not their personality. Nobody chooses cancer. Nobody wants it. Nobody likes it. However there might be a higher, wiser part of us that says, my life has been imbalanced up to this point. I I have a need to balance that's that's greater than the preservation of my 
physical health. And I think that's the part of us that calls in a balancing experience. And we tend to call those, you know, balancing experiences bad. <laughs> you know, when they have a form of, of sickness and challenge, right. we call them bad and we fight them. And yet if we could recognize that this is balancing the imbalances of the lifetime and instead of being forced to, to, to have the balancing, the corrective experience, we recognize what it is and we start seeking it out without needing the illness, then it becomes a lot easier to let go of the dis-ease. Um, you know, to give you an example of how that works, there was a woman I worked with years ago dealing with breast cancer, and she recognized the event of the illness as actually being a very powerful thing in her life because it, it, she was born of missionary parents, she's been taught to giving was better than receiving. She was a lovely person, always giving, giving, giving. And when she got sick, it really was the, per- the first time she gave attention to herself and she allowed herself to receive. And I suggested that she invite friends that wanted to support her to become a healing committee for her and to have one or two people she really trusted on that committee help her come up with a list of just every possible way that people could support her, from spiritual help, like healing and prayer, that sort of thing, to practical help, like rides to doctor's visits, meals, help with chores, to emotional help, somebody to just reach out and and talk to, recreation, go to a movie together, everything. And then she was to give that out to all of her friends, and they would pick things from the list as they could and wanted to, to to give to her. And she was fine with doing that until I said, and now you also have to ask your committee if they would be willing to keep giving to you in the same way even after you release your illness. And that's where she had this big hitch that went, oh, no, I couldn't ask that of them. And she realized that she had this belief that she had to be have a life-death situation in her life to be able to ask for the kindnesses and the care and the giving that she was asking from her friends. So when we're willing to do that thing that goes against all of our conditioning, that feels excruciatingly out of our comfort zone, and yet it's what the illness is pushing us, forcing us to do, that's when things often shift in remarkable ways. And the the, the symptom, the dis-ease, becomes a lot easier to let go of because we don't need it anymore. One of the things that you ask in the book, and I I forget now where it is, but I did write the question down because um, I I love this question and I uh, I, I love the journey that I'm taking in answering it. And the question, the question was, what would you give to make something you've struggled with, something that seems impossibly difficult, suddenly become astonishingly easy? And you know why I was struck by that question? It's because, you know this, Lynn, out in the world right now, millions and millions and millions of people just in this country alone are struggling in situations they never thought they would be in. You know, I had a personal friend. He was a best-selling author at Human Potential, studied with, with Bucky Fuller, right? Lost everything. 
And this question you ask, and I believe it was in the paradigm chapter, you know, what would you give to make something you're, you, 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 you know, something you've struggled with, something that seems impossibly difficult, something become astonishingly easy? What would you give? And I thought to myself, isn't that a compelling question? I can only imagine how different people answer that question. And I wanted to ask you, that question seems almost like if you answer it, you're not going to believe that what you say can actually happen. Well, you know, the it's a little bit of a trick question. because I know! <laughs> what, what is required of us isn't to climb Mount Everest, or to give all of our money, to give our left arm. You know, those kinds of things aren't required. However, what is required is to do whatever it is that's out of our comfort zone, that that in some way is outside of our own box and, and goes against our conditioning and our training about who we are, what we're allowed to do, be, or have, what we should do, what we're allowed to ask for, what's okay to receive. And those things, once we've done them, they often seem like the most easy, simple, little tiny steps. How could that be powerful? Yet before we do them, they may look like a Mount Everest. They may look so different. You know, somebody who's never asked for help, just asking for help. I mean, that could be their Mount Everest. It, it's illusionary. The, the, the magnitude of it is all in their own minds. But that's, that's usually what's asked of us to make things become impossible, you know, just ridiculously easy, things that were impossibly difficult. I wanted to ask you, Lynn, uh, uh, and first of all, I want to thank you for, for spending this time with us uh, and for, for you uh, dedicating your life so that other people can see the joy, can have the joy, can have the peace, can make miracles. So I want to thank you so much for doing that. Um, I wanted to also ask you uh, about what you believe is the greatest challenge any one of us has uh, in embracing moving forth to make miracles. That might be it, what I just described. That, yeah. that willingness to see our own comfort zone, to see where we've gotten into a rut, and be willing to step out of it. And, and often in just the smallest of ways of being willing to let go of control, where we usually are control freaks, um, you know, for example, the way I met my husband. I mean, I'm a total control freak, I'll admit it. <laughs> I, I had a crappy dating life for, you know, years and years. And I finally said, I give up. <laughs> and I was just with a friend who I was counseling or mentoring around uh, her self-employment. And she had a great history with relationships. And she just said, no, don't give up. This is the time to just go out and date. Don't take it seriously. And every ounce of my being said, no, I don't want to do that. No, I'm going to do it my way. And yet, you know, this inner voice said, well, you know, your way has been horrible. <laughs> it's never led you right. Why not listen to someone who's had a better experience than you? So I did. I just went out and I actually went on Match.com. And uh, the very first person who showed up in my little, you know, screen browser, 
it wound up being my husband. And, and oh, my it's gosh. Been perfect. It's been just perfect. And the only reason I did it was because my friend was telling me to. I, I mean, I had to, it was a total act of surrender. And I think when we find those little, little moments of surrender where we just let go of how we've been holding on out of a, a place of fear rather than love, and act differently, act outside of our own conditioning. That's when all kinds of things change. Miracles happen. I so want to thank you for all that you're doing. And I one last question. I wanted to know what your personal message is for our listeners today, and please let them know how to get a copy of the book and know more about your upcoming courses Oh, yeah. Um, everybody do, um, if you're free, uh, join me this Sunday for a phone conference. Uh, just go to my website, lynnwoodland.com, and you can sign up for that. And we're going to do a live miracle experiment. It's going to be 3 p.m. Central Time. And, uh, you know, the book is available on, on uh, Amazon.com. It will be in bookstores by spring. You can order it from a bookstore now. And... Uh, yeah, I, I think that's. Uh, I'd love to just have more of your uh, audience with me on Sunday. We'll, we'll just make more, more energy with more minds. Absolutely. At it. Yeah. I want to tell everyone this book. Um, this book will change your life. And you know, I say this book, but it's actually an invitation. Um, and you do a beautiful job in guiding us through, you know, the the path of exploration. Thank you so much, Lynn, for joining me here today. Thank you. Thank you you so much. It's been a pleasure. It really has. I want to thank all of you out there for tuning us in and turning us on. The book is Making Miracles, Create New Realities for Your Life and Our World. Uh, You get to participate with many, many other people. Take the journey together and be ready for the revelation. And that revelation is you the miracle maker. All right, everyone, we'll see you next time on the Dr. Pat Show, and Happy New Year to you. Maybe.